www.brfcs.com. By the fans. For the fans. Since 1996. Welcome to BRFCS podcast number 55. I'm Wei Wai Hu, the BRFCS editor. This is the first podcast of the year. We recorded the last one just after the Barnsley match at the end of 2012. Chief reporter Cami is with me in the virtual studio to talk about the various events of the last couple of weeks. Uh, not much has uh, happened really, has it, Cami? Yeah, not much has happened. We've had a number of managers linked. Uh, Taylor, Sven, Poyet, amongst others. We're unbeaten. We've won two and drawn one. Uh, we've had two Chevy interviews. We had a new manager promised for New Year's Day. Then Boyer and McPhillips were appointed till the end of January. We've had a boardroom split. And then out of nowhere, we've had Michael Appleton appointed. So that's about it, really. Yeah, OK. Well, fairly quiet, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> Par for the course. So let's uh, just catch up on that little lot of things. Uh, we'll talk about the football in a minute. But uh, first of all, manager search. Um as you say, Michael Appleton has now been appointed, but two weeks of uh, absolute chaos. Yeah, for a change. <laughs> um, Unbelievable. Yeah, it's been, even by uh, Venky's very high standards of chaos, yeah. uh, th- th- this has taken it to a new level. So if we just rewind back uh, to our last podcast, was it the 29th of December? Uh, yes. we just beaten Barnsley. What were we were expecting... From what everyone was saying was uh, that the new manager will be appointed on the 1st of January, uh, the day of the Nottingham Forest game. Uh, And then on the morning of the game, still quite a lot of speculation that, you know, there'll be phone calls between Shebby and the owners uh, after the Forest game to confirm who's the new manager is going to be. Obviously, we beat uh, Forest 3-0 and we'll be discussing that later on. And then after the game it emerged that uh, there would be no managerial appointment and that Boyer and McPhillips will be in charge for the following weekend, which was the Bristol, Bristol City FA Cup game. And, and you know, this New Year's Day appointment wouldn't, wouldn't now happen. You know, during that evening, then, there were links to Taylor and Sven, you know, possibly coming in. Uh, so, you know, that was New Year's Day. Then the following day, the, the 2nd of January, out of nowhere, press statement was released on on the official website, uh, which said that um, uh, Boyer and Muck Phillips will be uh, appointed until the till the end of January. Yeah. And, you know, it now transpires that that statement uh, was released by Shaw and Agnew. Uh, Shebby didn't know anything about it because um, he'd been on the radio and said, that the new manager will be given a six-month contract, um, and and you know the the new manager would only be a short-term appointment uh, until until the end of the season, and suddenly the next morning, uh, a statement on the official website saying Boyer McPhillips uh, will be in charge until the end of January. Uh, again, fans took that quite well because obviously um, your know, Boyer you know, they they done really well. We'd beaten Barnsley, we'd beaten uh, Forest very well, uh, and and 
people say, oh, well, there's a bit of stability there until the end of the January and, and it gives them time to maybe look at what the situation is. And maybe if, if you know, these two carry on doing well, that they'd be given the opportunity to, to um, run until the end of the season. Uh, to be honest, I was secretly delighted uh, because I know Boyer, uh, Boyer really well. You know, those of us who watch the academy sides and laterally the um, the reserves, we know what a good manager he is. Uh, you know, he, he's done fantastic with the academy, and then he moved up to reserve team manager, and he's carried on that good work. and uh, And I'm no, I'm not surprised that the players of uh, you know reacted positively to him being in charge because most of them are players that he's brought through the academy or players who've come into the club and you know played a lot for the reserves and and he's tried to develop them and push them into you know into first team players so so I wasn't surprised by the level of commitment that he, he him and Mc Phillips have got and as a duo they work off each other so so you know I was kind of happy that they'd be in charge until January and I wasn't surprised at seeing the players being more motivated and, and seeing the upturn in performances because, you know, uh, these two guys know the players as well as anyone at the club. Um, you know, so I, I, most people thought, well, that was it. They'll, there wouldn't be any speculation. And to be honest, for a couple of days, things died down. You know, after we beat in Bristol, uh, there wasn't really any much speculation in terms of who the new manager was going to be. And, you know, people were thinking, oh, well, let's see what happens until the end of January. If these two guys keep doing well, then we'd maybe carry, you know, appoint them until the end of Jan- end of the season then if, if they carried on doing this well. Um, I think it was on Tuesday or Wednesday that uh, BRFCS poster posted that a new manager had been agreed and that, you know, it would it'd be done in a couple of days, and you know, a deal is almost done with the club. Um, and then, you know, I, I thought that's bizarre because I talked to uh, people at the club just that same day, and and they were all saying, "Oh, n- nothing imminent. Um, uh, anything that's going to happen will happen at the end of the season." And, and I thought, well, Shebby can't be involved in this because he was at Brockhall. Uh, during the morning that day, and then he was in the, uh, watching the reserves during the afternoon. Uh, so the next day, suddenly Michael Appleton's name uh, c- came in with the bookies. So he'd not been on any betting, I don't think, and suddenly he was very odds-on favourite to to get the job. Uh, but again, I, you know, I checked with the club and a few other journalists checked with the club, and. They were all saying, "Oh no, nothing doing. That's not you know. It's just it's just bookies." And and to be honest, we've had this in the past where someone's been made favourite for a job, and they weren't really going to you know they weren't even in the running for it. It was just some people putting some bets on them. And because apparently the market for Rovers is so small, if a few bets are put on, it can make someone a favourite. Uh, so I left it at that. Um, I checked with few of the journalists and check with a few sources at the club uh, and they were saying no you know nothing doing we won't be getting a new manager in anytime soon and the plan is till the end of January uh, suddenly I think it was Thursday uh, started getting some really strong rumours from the show and Agnew side of things 
to say that this Michael Appleton thing could be happening. Uh, and at the same time, you know, people at Blackpool were telling me that, yeah, he hadn't turned up for training and that there'd been an alleged bust up between him and Oyston and he hadn't been at the club since Saturday and that they were pretty sure that he was going to become the new Rovers manager. Uh, throughout that day, you know, it became quite clear that this is what was happening. Uh, but again, nothing official from from anywhere. It was just speculation, but well-informed speculation. And then late on Thursday night, I think it was probably after 10, uh, where when uh, Rovers um, released a statement uh, to say that they'd made an official approach for Michael Appleton. It was done by a Derek Shaw statement to say that they'd made an approach for uh, uh, Appleton and that they were waiting to hear back from, from, from Blackpool. Blackpool also released a statement half an hour afterwards to say they acknowledged Rover's uh, approach and they wouldn't make uh, any further comment. Um, so so you know, that was, I think, Wednesday night. And then Thursday, you know, they, they said that... Um, during the morning, it was reported that Blackpool had rejected the approach. Uh, and then finally, Thursday afternoon, late Thursday afternoon, it was you know, confirmed that uh, Appleton had been given permission to talk to the Rovers. And then obviously he came across on Friday and and the deal was done. Of course, Friday is the... Uh... The actual day of the the Wolves match. Wolves is a, an evening kickoff, seventy seven forty five kickoff in the evening, and yeah. uh, uh, Appleton came over for discussions on the day of the match. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, he came to Ewood. Uh, I think you know he talked to Shaw and a few other executives. I'm sure he's, he would have talked to Pune via a conference call. Uh, maybe that was done you know Thursday night or something. I don't know. Anyway, we were. It went on all day, really, and people started speculating that, oh, maybe there's been some hold-up or anything like that, and maybe it won't happen. But, you know, people at the club were saying, no, it's a done deal, and it's just a matter of time uh, before it was was all confirmed. And yet, duly, you know, I think it was about five o'clock, five or six o'clock, uh, Rovers confirmed that, you know, he'd been appointed on a two-and-a-half-year contract. Mm. Him and... His assistant uh, Westwood, they'd both you know been appointed on two and a half year contract, and that they'd start work on Monday. Yeah, that's uh, Ashley Westwood uh, is coming in as yeah. his assistant. Yeah, yeah, and uh, so yeah, they were appointed uh, just a couple of hours before kick off. Um, I don't know why they didn't wait until after kick off or after the game even. I mean, uh, again, uh, uh, some other players been saying that. Uh, they found out via Sky Sports News <laughs> yeah. that, that he'd been appointed, which, again, uh, not the best way for, for players to find out. Yeah. And there are already uh, reports that it wasn't so much a done deal the night before, but several days earlier, and that uh, uh, all these uh, recriminations about uh, whether it was Shebby that had brought him in or Sean Agnew, uh, the... the uh, uh, the thing that was coming out was that uh, it was actually done directly with Pune. Um, is is that uh, correct? Yeah, I mean, initially I believe this was a, a, a Derek Shaw, Paul Agnew uh, kind of deal, and and you know I, d- I didn't have any reason not to believe that it was them. But um, 
since then it, it now transpires that this was something that was done direct with Pune. Uh, it was alleged um, on our forums and on Twitter, I think, that uh, Jerome Anderson and SEM had um, done this deal direct. You know, they were involved in it. Uh, I've, obviously, I talked to SEM on 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 Saturday to try and get some clarification uh, on exactly what has happened, and basically they confirmed that you know they've not been involved in in any of this. You know, they, they've never worked with Appleton. They weren't involved in any of this process. And they also released a statement as well, I think, which we, we put on the forums, to, you know, just confirming that uh, SEM or Jerome Anderson or anyone involved with SEM, not no one's been involved in in this particular deal. You know, they, they, they didn't do it. So we can clear that one up. But it's become quite clear over the last day or two that I believe that this was done directly at Venki's level. So none of... It was this wasn't something that Shaw or Agnew or uh, Shebby sorted. This was done direct by Venkis at their level. They made the decision to to bring Appleton in, and then they've tasked Shaw with sorting out all the formalities in terms of formally contacting Blackpool, formally you know doing all the contract paperwork, etc. So so that's become quite clear. Now the big question is you know. Who's recommended them this? Because I'm pretty sure Bala didn't wake up on Tuesday, Wednesday morning saying, "Oh, I fancy making Appleton the new manager." You know, so they have. You know, the thing with Venkis is, Shaw Agnew and Shebby aren't the only advisors. They have very, they have different advisors. You know, all over the world. So it would have been one of those advisors who's told them about Appleton. Maybe told them about his skills and what he's done, and obviously that's appealed to Venkis, and they've gone ahead and appointed him as manager. So, you know, there was speculation it could be Cantaro. You know, it may well be Cantaro, but, you know, Cantaro have many different companies. So what they tend to do is if they buy out the competitors. So if they see an agent company doing really well, they'll buy them out. And what they then do is... Um, uh, let that agent company run independently. So even though it's owned by Contaro, they let them carry on running the business like they were doing before they were bought out. So it could be one of them, you know. Venkis have worked with Pini Zahavi in the last two years. So it could be him. I think they've worked with Juraption. So it could be him, you know. It could be a number of advisors. Uh, so, you know, it doesn't mean that it's dodgy or anything. It just means that they've taken advice from somebody and you know, uh, decided to go with that one. And to be honest, if I was the owners, after the pig's year that uh, these three amigos, uh, as I call them, Shebby, Shaw and Agnew made of the last managerial search, you know, where we had five weeks trying to appoint a new manager and chaos, confusion, and the alleged boardroom splits that have been going on, you know, Agnew and Shaw went out to India, you know, Shebby was here, alleging dark forces on, on radio, etc. You know, maybe they've decided, well, these guys are arguing between themselves, politicking, you know, can't make any decision. They've wasted five weeks trying to uh, hire Steve Keane's replacement and they ended up with Henning Berg. You know, maybe they decided, well, you know, 
do we trust these guys to make a right decision because they're fighting with each other and they got the Henningberg one wrong, even though it was Shebby's choice. Agnew and Shaw signed off on it, so you know it was a collective in the end. And maybe the owners have decided that you know they'll take advice from someone else, and and they've gone for for Appleton. So you know if there is a Contoro link, then uh, unfortunately it will bring back all the questions about who owns the club and what's the relation with Contoro. But to be honest, you know Jerome and SEM have said that they're not involved, and. You know, if it is Contori, it could be one of these companies they've bought out, uh, and it, you know, and it's just coincidental. But you know, they've obviously taken advice from somebody, and and decided to appoint uh, uh, Appleton. So, do you think that this undermines Shebby's position in any way? You know, going uh, over his head, as it were. Yeah, uh, it's it's a weird, really, because um, initially I thought it was a Shaw and Agnew thing. And that definitely undermined his position hugely. You know, they have been having this battle, you know, uh, to see who is in control of the club. Uh, so initially, when I thought it was Sean Agnew, I thought, well, that really could be the end of Shebby, to be honest, or it it really leaves him in a weak position. Uh, but now it's coming out that it wasn't uh, wasn't all to do with Shaw. You know, it was something a decision that the owners made. But still, you know, it does um, he was touting himself as the global advisor, the one who was running things at Ewood Park, the one that the owners were trusting to make decisions. So in that respect, yeah, it does uh, change the dynamics of his position uh, in terms of suddenly the owners aren't listening to what he's saying, uh, aren't taking on his advice. And crucially, um, they went to uh, Shaw when they wanted the uh, uh, Appleton deal or you know doing the formal bits in terms of contacting the club releasing uh, contacting Blackpool releasing press statements doing the contracts etc they went to um, uh, Derek Shaw and not to to Shebby so again that suggests that whatever talks that Agnew and Shaw had uh, in Pune have been advantageous to them in terms of gaining favour with the owners now the thing with Venkis is they might favour you one day and then the next day might favour somebody else. It's mm, just the way they work. Um, and Ash, I, I mean, I don't know what Shebby's going to do. You know, he's, I, I'm pretty sure he's not employed by Rovers. He, he's employed and paid by Venkis directly. So they may decide to bring him back, uh, uh, you know, back to Pune and start, you know, carry on. He was doing the Indian Academy role. So they may decide they want to do that. You know, he may decide he doesn't want any part of it and quit. But, yeah, I doubt that's going to happen. Um, so, but he could also, you know, when Keane was sacked, Agnew and Shaw pretty much lost all their power, and Shebby was doing things. But uh, they hung in there in terms of they were still there. Uh, you know, they didn't give up, uh, and and they they kind of hung in, and and now they're back in a position of power. So Shebby may decide to adopt similar tactics if he's not removed by Venkis or told to to come back. To India, they might decide. Well, I'll just hang around and and see how things go for the rest of the season. And it may be that in the summer he can win favour with the owners again, regain their trust, and and again get a more influential position. So you know he's still a global advisor. Uh, he's still at Ewood, um, but the I don't know what his decision making power is after this. And uh, you know 
that situation personally I think needs resolving. You can't have your three senior executives at Ewood working against each other really. You know, Agni and Shaw versus Shebby uh, really is a situation that you can't allow to con- continue. Personally I'd get rid of the all three of them as a you know and, and bring an experienced, uh, respected, forward thinking chief executive in who can then start to work with with um with with Venkis. The only other thing is I think Glenn Mullen uh posted last night on, on our forum that um Rovers have um um hired a very respected PR firm. So they've hired a very, very respected PR company uh to, to do all the PR. So again that then now raises questions about what is uh, Paul Agnew's role and where does that leave PAPR? Because they were the ones doing all the PR. You wouldn't believe it, but they were actually trying to do PR for all this. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Not very successfully. Uh, uh, but um, you know, where does that leave them in terms of, 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 of things? Because according to Glenn Mullen, and I have absolutely no reason to doubt his information, uh, there's a new, very, very respected uh, company coming in. Mm. I mean, after the uh, Pune trip, uh, Sean Agnew were reportedly uh, summoned there. Uh, everyone presumed that because it was quiet that uh, they were on their way out. Obviously, I did say I... on the last podcast that I didn't think they'd get sacked because Venkis don't do sackings face-to-face. Mm. <laughs> I thought if they were going to get sacked, they'd have been just they would have been sacked without calling about to India. So that made me think that there was more to it, that they wanted to listen to what they had to say. Yeah. So so I didn't expect I, I had a pretty big doubts that they would be sacked. I said it on the last podcast as well because Venkis don't like doing sackings face to face. But um you're suggesting that uh, Derek Shaw was perhaps back in favour because he did the contract stuff. But if you think about it, who else could have done it? Well, I mean, she- Chevy's surely not capable of of, uh, of putting a you know a contract together, is he? No, no. He w- but they would have in the past, you know, in the last few months, they would have gone to Chevy and said, right, we're bringing Appleton in, sort out all the all the nitty gritty, you know, all the details, and then he would have then delegated that down to whoever in the club but this time they've not done that they've gone straight to Derek Shaw it looks like and he's done it Shelby wasn't even in the loop he didn't even know that these statements were coming out you know that that's how far removed he was from from this he was not in the loop uh, he didn't know that Shaw had been contacted you know it was pretty very late on uh, before the official statement came out that he actually found out so it, it, you know, it appears he was completely out of the loop. Mm. In the past, he would have been the one who would have, Venkis would have said, right, this is the guy we want, go and sort it. You know, this time they went and via um, uh, Derek Shaw. Yeah, yeah. Well, now we've uh, got a, a new manager in. Um, it means that uh, Gary Boyer and Tarek McPhillips are going to be moving back to their previous uh, roles, uh, presumably. Uh, do we have confirmation uh, uh, that they'll be going back to reserve team duties? Uh, yeah, I think it was in the statement. I'm not sure, but uh, Gary 
said after the game on on Friday that he'd be talk, having a meeting with with Michael Appleton on on Monday morning. So I suspect they'll be having uh, a chat on Monday, and then a decision will be made made after that. Uh, obviously, uh, Gary and Terry's stock has risen quite highly over the last uh, few weeks. You know, with with the results they've got and the way they've handled. You know the situation, uh, not just within the club, but from outside. You know, other clubs in the championship know what kind of circus Rovers are, and I've been quite impressed by um, the way these two guys have handled uh, the, the the situation. So you know, it could well be maybe a, a club you know, in the championship or Division One, a League One, sorry, maybe looking uh, at offering them. You know, a joint manager's job or something. So, so I think the stock has risen quite highly. But I, I'm hoping that they're given uh, first team coaching roles rather than going back to the reserves uh, because they know the players, they get on well with the players, they know the strengths and weaknesses, and they could help uh, Michael Appleton a huge amount. I remember we've lost, I think, was it three coaches anyway? Uh, you know, so so there is room within the coaching structure. Uh, if 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 that's what they want to do, hmm. yeah, uh, then would probably struggle further down the the the, uh, uh, the pecking order with the the reserve team and uh, uh, the youth. So, Gary and Terry uh, managed four matches uh, unbeaten, uh, starting with the Barnsley match. Uh, played Notts Forest on Tuesday, the first of January, three nil at home. Uh, then last week uh, on Saturday we had uh, the FA Cup third round, beat Bristol City uh, pretty convincingly. Uh, apparently it should have been far more than 2-0. And then on Friday night uh, the Wolves match went 1-0 up. Couldn't quite hold on and uh, finished off one each. Uh, sounded like a, a fair result in the end. So Gary Boyer and Terry McPhillips sign off uh, with uh, a four-match unbeaten run and... Uh, uh, yeah, two of two of the uh, matches, uh, uh, two of those wins come in the league, and uh, also the uh, the win in the FA Cup third round has given us a, an away tie uh, against Derby in the next round. Um, just looking at uh, some of the comments by the players, uh, CKR and Murphy, that's uh, Kazim Richards and Danny Murphy, uh, were. Not exactly complimentary about uh, the prospect of playing under Michael Appleton. Um, did you keep up with the t- the tweets of uh, Kazim Richards at all? Yeah, uh, I mean, he shouldn't really be making those kind of comments. But uh, both him and Murphy, I don't think they were having a go at Appleton per se. Uh, they were more having a go or letting out the frustrations at the way the club is being run. Because um, you've got to look at it from their point of view. Uh, you know They've had Steve Keane as a manager. He was sacked. Then they had Eric Black for, for a while. Then Henny Berg was brought in. Then he was sacked. And then Boyer and McPhillips were brought in, who the players love and respect. Uh, and they've been working hard you know, in terms of getting results, etc. Uh, and there's been some stability in terms of uh, the way the team's playing and and you know this four match unbeaten run that they're on, they were told you know last week that Boyer McPhillips will be here until the end of January, 
So, you know, on top of good results, there was that little bit of stability until the end of January at least. Uh, I think the players assumed that if the Kai don't get results the way they were, that that end of January will probably turn into the end of the season kind of scenario. So there was that bit of stability there and and they were enjoying working with these two. And then suddenly, you know, midweek, Tuesday, Wednesday, the club was back under uncertainty. You know, is Appleton coming in? What's going to happen to Boyer McPhillips? You know, boardroom splits. Is this a shabby decision? Is this a show on Agnew decision? You know, who's bringing this guy in? Who is he? Why is he quitting Blackpool after, you know, such a short period of time? So I think it was that frustration that was coming out, you know. And, and you know, they're just like us, you know, me and you, wherever we work, you know, if you had five different managers to work under, constant uncertainty, you know, we'd get frustrated with, with it, you know, they, and, and these guys are professional footballers, uh, they expect the club to be running a professional way, you know, in terms of the way it handles situations, so I think it was just that frustration uh, that was that was coming out, and, and, and they got angry, and, and, and they should have made, well, uh, CKR shouldn't have made those comments, and um, you know, but Danny Murphy was asked some straight questions and he gave some straight answers. Yeah, I mean, um, one thing that I'm interested in is uh, the psychological aspect. They've, you know, they're now on the fifth manager. Uh, they learn what uh, two hours before the game against Wolves that they've uh, they've got a new manager. Um, I'm just wondering what uh, the levels of fitness and levels of energy have been like during Gary Boyer's uh, tenure. I mean, um, it, it, it seems pretty incredible that we can suddenly become energised uh, and, you know, see out the 90 minutes against uh, Forest uh, and against Bristol City, uh, not to mention Barnsley. Uh, and yet, uh, under Henningberg and certainly under Steve Keane, after 60, 70 minutes, and uh, we're running out of steam. I'm just wondering how much of it is actual fitness, uh, fitness problems and the training, and how much of it is psychological. Uh, having seen the games under Gary Boyer, uh, what's uh, what's your perspective on that? Yeah, I think fitness and conditioning can't really do that much work in, in such a short period of time. So I think you know they probably have done little bits, but you can't improve the performance that much. You know, fitness and conditioning is something that you do over months where you build it up. You know, so so I think a lot of it's psychological. I think the players have taken to Boyer and McPhillips. Uh, they've you know they've got them motivated. They've got to buy into whatever philosophy they were they were preaching in terms of the way the team should play um, and and I think they brought a bit of enjoyment back into training and 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 the players are going out and enjoying themselves on the pitch uh, you know they're totally behind the manager manager and 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 I think like you said it's a positive psychological attitude so to speak you know they, they're positive they feel good uh, they believe in what the manager's telling them to do uh, Training is very positive, and it helped. You know, we won the first game, Barnsley, and quickly followed it up with a really good victory at, at, against Forest at Ewood Park. So it's that momentum that they built up. You know, won three, and you know, Wolves. That wasn't the best performance, but you know, again, they showed a lot of fight and determination. You know, we were under the cosh in the second half, and and you know, when Wolves equalised, I think it was seventy odd minutes. 
you know, we still had 20-odd minutes to, to go. And really, they dug in and, and got a very, very good point in the end. Uh, uh, so I think it's just that positive attitude that they've got. Uh, they believe in what the manager's saying. And 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 they've gone out and, and get 100%. Now, really, they should be giving it 100% every game. But, you know, the human beings and the human mind works in very, very different ways. So, you know, you've got to learn how to tap into that. You know, Jose Mourinho is a master at it. Uh, at it. You know, he he puts great store on the way the team is psychologically. Now, he's lost that that edge at Madrid and the results have suffered uh, where he's fallen out with players, etc. So, it's, it's, it's a very difficult balancing act and, and you're quite right uh, when to, to mention the psychological aspects. A lot of it is in the mind. You know, if the players feel good, uh, they believe in something, they'll go out and, and more than likely they'll not give it 100% and, and get the results. Yeah. Now, looking at the actual performances, uh, Notts Forest uh, uh, on uh, the uh, 1st of January, New Year's Day, you, you went along to the match. Uh, what was uh, what was the match itself like? Yeah, it was a, a really good performance. Uh, first off, it was nil-nil. Uh, both teams, you know, had chances um, and and could have convert, but you know, Rovers were well in the game. Uh, second half, we got a very fortuitous goal where Ruben Rochina shot hit the defender and then back onto Ruben's knee and it flew past the goalkeeper. <laughs> I thought you're know, a bit of fortune, but then you know we we took control. Jordan Road, fantastic goal, really tight angle. And then Kazim Richards um, uh, burst into the box and, and smashed one past the keeper. So so that was a really good 3-0 victory. Jake Keane at 1-0 produced a fantastic uh, point-blank save from uh, Billy Sharp header, I think it was. Uh, so so it was good for him. So, yeah, it was a, one of the better performances against uh, a Forest side who've also got a new manager. But you know, are a very very dangerous side, so so was really pleased with that. Um, and and you know, I think what a lot of people took from that was the unity. You know, players were together; they gave it 110 percent. You know, and 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 they got a good result. Yeah, and we took uh, took on the form uh, into the following uh, Saturday match against Bristol City. Uh, we beat them two 0 but it sounds like uh, we could have absolutely hammered them. Yeah, I mean, uh, we put out pretty much uh, a first choice eleven, really, with just Rosado coming in, uh, um, in, in, in into the team. Um, Bristol City put from what Andy Cryer was saying, uh, a reserve team. You know, they, they rested many of the the, the, the first team players. Um, so, so yeah, I mean, honestly, when it could have been six or seven, really, by the end. Uh, we missed some chances, but yeah, again, it was that positivity. You know, we won the previous two players, looked confident, passing the ball around really well, created numerous chances. Um, you know, eventually won two nil. Could have been six or seven, really, and and uh, it was good. You know, to to build on uh, to keep that momentum up. You know, how we won the, the previous two games to carry on and and beat Bristol. So yeah, it was two nil. Could have been five or six, seven. It could have been any score. Yeah, yeah, it's good to keep the momentum going, and uh, yeah. it's also put us in the hat. Uh, and we've uh, we've got Derby away uh, in a couple of weeks on the Saturday, uh, yeah. so that's good. Yeah, uh, it was particularly impressive the Bristol game 
because the crowd was, I think, five thousand or something. So, yeah. For so, you know, for the players to uh, uh, not only win but produce a, a decent performance against uh, under strength brought Bristol side with only four or five thousand fans at the ground. That was uh, you know also quite impressive. But but yeah, um, the big thing from that game was. Uh, the message that the Rovers fans sent to the owners in terms of, you know, we're not happy with what you've done to our club and we're going to stay away. And and, and they did in, in the thousands. Yeah. Now, the league matches, uh, the the attendances are fudged somewhat because they count uh, season ticket holders, uh, irrespective of uh, of whether they turn up or not. Uh, so all all tickets that have been sold for the match are counted in there. Uh, whereas for a, a cup match, uh, it's actually uh, bums on seats, isn't it? So they couldn't hide uh, the the, uh, the the lack of uh, uh, attendance. Uh, only just over five thousand turning up to to uh, FA Cup third round. Um, small crowds for uh, FA Cup and League Cup uh, third, fourth, five, fifth round matches are not unusual. But uh, even so, five five thousand is uh, pretty poor. Yeah, very very poor. I mean. In the past, we've had the likes of Kettering Town and you know smaller sides in the third round. We've never dipped this low in terms of a crowd. You know, this was something completely new. And the Wolves match, uh, you presumably saw it on telly. Yeah, yeah, I wasn't, I wasn't at Molyneux, but um, I saw the full game uh, live on Sky. Um, again, um, first off, we we did well. Um, you know, Rhodes had a good chance. Uh, which he normally puts away. Um, then we got a penalty. Um, that I was really annoyed with the commentators because they were suggesting uh, that Rubens had cheated. I don't think he cheated. I think he got in the box. And if a defender makes a challenge in the box and doesn't get the ball, then they always run the risk of, of giving away a penalty. Um, and and I think it was Sacco who made made the challenge and he completely missed the ball and left his leg, you know, sticking out, and then Ruben just went over his leg. You know, it's, it happens all the time. If a defender makes a challenge like that inside the box and they don't get the the ball, then they always risk uh, the the uh, risk giving away a penalty. And they had Don Goodman, who was a ex Wolves player, and they had Matt Matt Murray in the studio, who was also an ex Wolves player, and it was like a conspiracy thing. <laughs> <laughs> they were both going at it, hammer and tongs. Oh, Rovers have cheated. He's cheated. That's blatant cheating. But it happens all the time. You know, if a defender makes a a, a a challenge like that inside the box and misses the ball, then then you know you you always risk the uh, risk giving away a penalty. Shouldn't be making challenges like that uh, and not getting the ball. So I was really annoyed by that. But we got the penalty and uh, Jordan Rhodes. Fantastic! Put it right in the corner. The keeper went the right way, and their goalkeeper is massive as well. So if he guesses the right way, you've got to get it in the corner. And 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 Rhodes did, and and we went one nil up. Uh, second half, uh, Wolves put and played much better, to be honest. And and we our performance dropped. I thought uh, Simon Vukcevic was brilliant, and when he went off, I think it was fifty five odd, fifty five, sixty minutes uh, when Simon went off. We lost uh, control of the game. Previous to that, Simon, you know, he was coming short. He was getting the ball 
it was always available as an outlet and you know, it was helping to link uh, the midfield and, and and our forward play together and he was working hard uh, down 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 the right hand side helping out uh, Todd Kane who who who's joined from Chelsea on loan until the end of January. So they, them two were working fairly well as a unit and uh, Simon's uh, technical ability was was helping Rovers in terms of keeping possession and keeping things together. So so that was brilliant. Um, but as soon as he went off and Morton came on and unfortunately it wasn't one of Morton's best performances to be honest. He kept giving the ball away uh, and and generally his, his, his play wasn't up to really any any decent level. So when he came on, we seemed to lose control of the game. They started, Sacco started getting a lot of space on the right-hand side. Uh, Todd Kane was being left on one-on-one situations and and eventually, you know, they pressure told a ball into a box from um, uh, O'Hara who would just come on as a substitute. He flung a ball into the box. Great cross. Uh, we left uh, Roger Johnson uh, completely free uh, at the back post and he came and planted a header to make it 1-1 and I really worried then because I thought there's 20 odd minutes left here Wolves are going to throw the kitchen sink at us and probably get a winner but to be honest last 20 minutes we, we dealt with it quite well we absorbed their pressure uh, you know, really really well and although we didn't really create any opportunities to get a winner ourselves uh, we seemed to re- regain some form of control um, in the last 10-15 minutes um, and you know a point good result against Wolfside with a new manager uh, you know wanting to impress him and, and you know we, we've got a good point there Yeah now you mentioned Todd Kane he's uh, come from Chelsea on loan um, he was at Preston uh, for, for a while on loan there uh, he's a Chelsea under 21 captain and uh, he's come in as cover for Adam Henley, who's done his hamstring and be out for several weeks. Um, now, Orr, of course, Bradley Orr, has not been recalled from Ipswich. Uh, I think there's discussions uh, ongoing for him to uh, extend to the end of the season, uh, his long spell down at Ipswich. Uh, Todd Kane, how, uh, how did he look? Yeah, I mean, I thought he did well. Um, you know, he, he was caught out of position a couple of times, uh, but, you know, it was a, it was a fairly solid uh, performance. I think when Simon went off and, and Morton wasn't his usual self in terms of tracking back, he got exposed a little bit. But uh, before that, I thought he, he looked good. Uh, he made some good marauding runs forward as well, uh, which was which was good to see. Uh, he reminded me of uh, John Curtis. I don't know if you remember him. Yes. Uh, under Sunest in the year we came up and I think he he yeah. came in the championship he reminded me very much of, of a, a, a young John, John Curtis uh, in terms of he was quite solid you know no frills really um, and he'd be like your six or seven out of ten man each week so so yeah he, he looked fairly decent he did get caught out of position a couple of times and when he was exposed uh, in the second half um, he, he struggled a little bit but yeah it, you know Considering Preston fans were telling me, "Oh, he's rubbish," uh, he's, he, he, he was on our bench and didn't get much opportunity. I was I was fearing the worst, but uh, to be honest, he 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 did a, a decent job, and it allowed us to keep Jason Law in midfield, 
and not have to put it by right back. And because and, we, if we put low into uh, right back, that would leave a short in centre mid with a two who uh, injured and done not playing. Um, so so it allowed Rovers to keep him in centre mid, and then um, um, you know put Kane at right back. Um, so so yeah, he he looked alright. I thought uh, I was feeling the worst after what Preston fans were telling me, but. Um, and I know Preston fans don't know what they're talking about. So, <laughs> uh, but yeah, he, he he did well to be honest. Yeah. And it was a tough away game, and he was up against Sako, who's one of uh, one of the, the quickest and strongest players in the championship. So, so so he did well in with that in mind as well. Yeah, it's good for him. Good for him. Now, uh, talking about uh, the transfer window, uh, Todd Kane has come in. We've already uh, seen the permanent signing of Josh King. Uh, he was on loan from Man United, uh, of course, until the transfer window started. Now, uh, Bruno Ribeiro, um, the cult hero, played right back right at the beginning of the season, but uh, he's uh, gone missing, and uh, finally he's been loaned out to Club Atletico Linense uh, until the 30th of June, so he's gone back to Brazil. Um, so we've brought in Todd Kane as as cover. Uh, in the right-back slot. Of course, as you say, Jason Law can also fill in there. So it looks as though the uh, the club is confident enough uh, in uh, the uh, the replacements uh, not to bring uh, Bradley Orr back from Ipswich. Now, we've, uh, we've also had a, a bid from West Ham, uh, believed to be in the region of £2 million for Martin Olsen. So Big Sam has come back in for uh, one of his uh, uh, favoured players. Um, now, have you heard of any developments on the, the Martin Olsen front? Uh, it looks as though West Ham are going to uh, uh, continue with their pursuit of him. Yeah, they they made a, a bid or a couple of bids last week, official bids, uh, believed to be in the region of two or three million pounds. Uh, obviously, Rovers rejected that, but I think they're going to be back in again this week. Um, they're really struggling at the back. Um, and particularly at left back, Sam was asked at his on his uh, pre-match conference um, on Friday, and and he said that he was really interested in in um, Martin Olsen, and the, they continue to talk to Rovers. So I suspect uh, another bid is going to come in uh, for Olsen, um, and I've got a feeling this time uh, that Olsen will maybe try and force a move, yeah, not go on strike or anything like that, but maybe actively tell the club that he wants to go. So so that'll be one to watch this week, I think. Um, particularly West Ham losing uh, 3-0 yesterday at Sunderland. Um, I think their need for defenders has become uh, even more important after that result. So uh, maybe they'll come in with a bid of 4 or 5 million. And if they get to those kind of figures, then possibly Rovers will, will look to do business with them. Um so, so, so that's one to watch. Then you've got GV. Uh, he's been linked with a couple of French clubs, uh, a possibility of going back uh, on loan. Um, but at the moment, those clubs, the amount of wages that they're offering Rovers for his loan deal isn't up to a level that Rovers think is acceptable. So, so he'll be staying for now. Um, and, and you know, unless those clubs come back with more wages for for the loan deals. Uh, I think he might stay, and obviously Robbo is completely frozen out of of first team, you know, at the moment. 
So it'd be interesting to see what happens with Michael Appleton coming in on Monday, uh, whether it, if he's back in favour or not. But to be honest, Jake Keane has done superbly well um, in, in the four or five games that four games that he's played or five games that he's played. Uh, so it'd be very, very unfair on, on, on him to be dropped after looking very, very solid to, to be honest, looking, giving us some top notch performances. Um, he made some really good saves again against Wolves on Friday night. So, so the robber one will be one to watch. And then, um, Appleton coming in, um, there's some speculation that this morning that he might be bringing a West Brom midfielder in or something. So, so again, that's one to watch. What are his plans? I'm, I'm assuming that he's been promised maybe some very limited funds to bring in one or two players. And looking at the squad, we definitely need a centre midfield midfield player because at the moment we do not playing a two who injured. Really, only got Lowe and Murphy as the recognised centre midfield. Morton can do a job there, but you wouldn't want want him in there based on the performance on Friday. Um, so, so we desperately need to bring some cover in in, in centre midfield. Um, if we do that, then with Leon Best uh, getting close to fitness again, you know, maybe he'll figure in the next two three weeks. Uh, we, you know, we we should be okay if. We if we lose Martin Olsen, then obviously probably have to bring another left back in. So, providing we don't lose many more players, then another central midfielder will probably be it for Rovers in terms of transfer business. Um, but if the likes of Olsen and GV move on, then then they may look to bring use that money to bring in another left back and uh, another another centre half as well. Yeah. Presumably, any incoming. Uh, transfers will be funded by outgoings. Um, I mean, it's uh, it's not like that we're putting money up, is it? Well, you, you don't know. I mean, um, for Appleton to leave Blackpool, uh, maybe he's been promised some, you know, some form of uh, uh, funding. You know, the statement that Rovers at least said, you know, that they would try and support him as much as they could. So that that leaves a little bit of room. Maybe you know to bring in a couple of players, maybe a loan deal or something, or maybe you know. So it's hard to say really, um, but maybe he's been promised some very limited funds uh, to to strengthen the squad uh, in terms of players that he wants to bring in. Maybe one or two players, and like you said, if if Olsen leaves for five million, um, then maybe that might give him a bit more money to to, to play around with. Yep. Now, uh, forthcoming matches, uh, we've got four home league games on the trot. Um, Charlton uh, is uh, next Saturday. Then we've got uh, Brighton at home on the following Tuesday. Uh, that's the rearranged match. Uh, then we're away to Derby uh, the following Saturday. And then two home matches, uh, Bristol City and Ipswich, uh, on the following two Saturdays. So we've actually got four home matches on the trot in the league. That's uh, pretty amazing. And so uh, uh, Michael Appleton will have a, a fantastic chance to, uh, uh, to to get up and running with uh, some points on the board. Yeah, I mean, what an opportunity for, for Appleton. You know, four home games uh, against, you know, opposition. 
will be which will be tough, but it's not you're not playing the likes of Cardiff or Leicester or, or Middlesbrough, you know, the, the the teams right at the top. So what an opportunity for, for, for Michael to get off to a flyer. You know, if he can pick nine or ten points from those four games, that'll really get Rovers back uh, in the hunt for a playoff spot. Um, so, so yeah, these four home games are going to be absolutely crucial for us, really, uh, in, in terms of what direction the season will take. If, if we want to get a playoff spot, then we're going to have to pick up eight, nine points at least from from these games. Um, you know, but you know, if you can get ten, you know, nine, ten points, that'll be brilliant. If you can get twelve, that'll really put us in in the mix, maybe to even put a little bit of pressure on the top two. So. So these four games are, are critical and sandwich in between is a away, away tie in the FA Cup uh, against Derby. Uh, so yeah, uh, great start from Appleton and he's got to really take take advantage of, of all these home games. Yeah. Before uh, Gary Boyer took over, there was uh, some concern that uh, the bottom of the table was closer than the, than the uh, playoffs, but uh, uh, we're, we're pretty stable now. Uh, there's no real concern in my mind about uh, a relegation battle, but uh, it's what it, we're 11 points adrift really of the of the uh, third to fifth place spot. They're all level on points at the moment, and uh, I think sixth place have uh, uh, got a, a game in hand as we do uh, over the others. Uh, so uh, they they could be uh, uh, right right up behind. Uh, uh, fifth spot if they win that game in hand. Yeah, I mean, what we've got to do when is to just start picking up points on a regular basis now um, and, and see where we are come April. We've got to now go on a run, you know, like we've had four, you know, four games, one, three, drawn one. We need to continue that. Winning most games, the odd draw here and there, but really got to go on a, on a run uh, like we've done in the last four games, and then see where we are come April, and then then push on from there and put some pressure on on that top six. Um, and you know, if we can get it to a playoffs, you you never know what will happen there. But we, it's time now. We've got some momentum that we build on it. And you know, uh, personally, I'd have liked to see Boyer and McPhillip stay till the end of January and see where we are at that point. But the club's made the decision, so. We've just got to accept it, sport Appleton and, and hope that he can push the club forward. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, I think uh, if, if Gary Gary Boyer had uh, done a, a decent job right up to the end of January, I would have been more than happy for him to have continued to the end of the season and just stabilised things. Um, I, I don't know whether we would have uh, pushed for the top six, but uh, we wouldn't have been in any danger. Uh, just hope that uh, Michael Appleton can uh, can keep a, a steady ship uh, for the rest of the season, if if nothing else. So, I think uh, that's all we have time for uh, for discussion today. We've uh, mentioned uh, just before Christmas, I think, that we were going to be looking for a, a volunteer trainee journalist, and uh, by the time you listen to this, it will be up on the website. We're looking to invite applications uh, from budding journalists out there. Uh, you'll be working with Cami uh, and myself on the new site. Uh, Cami, uh, you've uh, you've got some pretty exciting things up your sleeve for for the new trainee. 
yeah, we're looking for someone who's look, you know, who's who wants to be a journalist. Maybe someone doing a journalism degree and wants to get into sports and football journalism. So what we'll be doing is giving them an opportunity to uh, get linked into our network. Um, you're doing uh, articles and features, uh, taking them to press conferences, um, uh, showing them how you know investigative journalism works you're linking them in with a couple of other journalists that i know in terms of uh having a shadowing with shadowing an arrangement where they go and shadow the journalists um showing them you know how stories develop you know how we develop a story uh, how we research a story so really the full gambit of of what what i do but more specifically what professional journalists do and and you know professionalist football journalists who a couple of whom who I've talked to have said that they'd be willing, you know, to to help in terms of uh, doing some shadowing, etc. So yeah, it's a, a unique opportunity for someone who wants to get into sports and football journalism specifically, and we'll we'll give them some good experience, and if nothing else, it's good for their CV uh, going forward because uh, unfortunately, print journalism uh, is is dying. Um, so. So and and there's so much competition for print journalism that you, you've got to have some experience and you've got to be able to show a, a body of work uh, to to even get an internship nowadays. So it's 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 a really really competitive uh, market out there. So any experience that you can get um, is is always always good and it's always good for the CV. Yeah, it's going to be a fantastic opportunity for someone. So we look forward to uh, receiving your applications if you're interested. Uh, the closing date for the uh, applications is the 25th of January. Uh, oh. If you want further details, just go onto the front page of BRFCS and uh, take a look at that. Uh, finally, um, we've got a little quiz for you. In the last podcast, Eddie and Cami and Scotty were on it, and... Eddie had just published something to the front page called The Last, Vest- Last Vestige of Hope. And as you can see, I, I have problems saying last vestige. And uh, in, the last, uh, in the last podcast during recording, I made this mistake. Now, Eddie, uh, you've uh, just published a, a piece yourself uh, on the last vegetable, not the last vegetables... <laughs> Well, it might, it might it might be the last vegetables. <laughs> it probably would be a better title. There's a Freudian slip if I've heard one. So the question is, what are the last vegetables of hope? If you can provide a suitable answer to that, you will be the winner of a Punatic Asylum T-shirt, which has been specially designed by Perth Blue Zero Two one of our message board members and uh, BRFCS staff. So that's a Punatic Asylum t-shirt, which is coming to you. And all you need to do is name the last vegetables of hope and why they are the last vegetables of hope. Entirely up to you to work it out. All you need to do is reply to the podcast thread and uh, we'll look through them all and uh, see which one's the best one. Well, that's uh, all we have time for this week. Uh, we'll be with you again soon. Uh, Cammy, thank you ever so much for coming on. Yeah, thank you, uh, Wen. Um, 
unfortunately, my Christmas holidays are now at, at an end. <laughs> so I'm back at work tomorrow. You've had holidays up to now? Yeah, believe it or not, I'm still on Christmas holidays. <laughs> Blimey. Blimey. So I'm back at work tomorrow, So, uh, which I'm not looking forward to. <laughs> <laughs> I believe you're off to Australia when John Lee did this thread. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm off to Australia in uh, about three and a half weeks' time, I think, my sort of annual visit. Uh, so I'm looking forward to getting together with some uh, uh, Brants people, the Black Marovers in Australia and New Zealand, Brants. Um, I'll be stopping off in Melbourne and uh, hopefully meeting a few people there. A few people have already replied to the thread. Um, I think uh, off the top of my head... Uh, uh, South Australia Rover may be able to make it. Uh, my car uh, is uh, hopefully going to make it. Uh, Matty C, I think. Uh, so hopefully there'll be quite a few uh, meeting up in Melbourne. Uh, then Sydney uh, later on in, in February. Uh, there'll be quite a crowd there, I hope. Uh, last year there was, uh, I don't know, about a, a, a dozen in all. Uh, and the Lord Nelson. And then going up to Brisbane, uh, where uh, John Lee is. And uh, there's going to be one or two there as well, I think. So, can't wait, really. Good. Maybe you should do a podcast. You did a podcast last time you were out there, were you? Yes. um, I'll be doing a podcast, uh, maybe uh, various uh, branch members, um, hopefully be able to record different people and put something together uh, from, uh, from the Melbourne... Uh, Sydney and uh, Brisbane uh, uh, meetings. Um, yeah, I, I think last last year when I was in Australia, um, tried to do a few podcasts and it was uh, uh, terribly difficult because the signal was very poor. Uh, if you remember, I got cut out of the. Uh, I think it was was it podcast twenty seven or twenty nine, um, yeah. which uh, I, I got cut out of because the, the signal kept dropping and, and then uh, someone with a, 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 a leaf collector, one of these electronic leaf collectors came around and couldn't hear a damn thing. <laughs> oh yeah, you were sat on a park bench or something, weren't you? <laughs> I was sat under a tree trying to get a signal, yeah. <laughs> and uh, someone came in uh, with one of these leaf things, you know, it's like a massive vacuum cleaner. <laughs> Very good. But uh, hopefully uh, they've got better signals down under than than I experienced last year. But uh, yeah, can't wait to go anyway. <laughs> Very good. Yeah. Okay, well that rounds it up for uh, for this uh, edition of the podcast, and uh, we'll be back uh, hopefully next weekend. And uh, wherever you are in the world, we hope you take care. And uh, thank you ever so much for listening.